Everyone enjoying our day of spring? I think we got another day or two of winter, but the good Lord throws in a couple of days of spring just to give us hope, right? Give us hope. Hey, we're going to be in Ezekiel 13. <clears throat> we're in a section now of Ezekiel's prophecies, uh, primarily focused on the false prophets and the seduction of the false prophets. And it really coincides together uh, with something that Jesus told us about uh, the last days. In the last days, men will heap up for themselves teachers who will scratch their itching ears, getting the message you want, not necessarily God's message, not necessarily what, what God is saying, uh, and we definitely can see, certainly in our world today, and, and certainly in the, in the future that we're uh, driving headlong into, the idea of, if, look, if you want to be at peace with the state, you're going to have to toe the line. That means you open when we tell you you can open. You have the people in that we tell you you can have. You preach the message we tell you you can preach. So those days are coming. Those days exist right now, just in case you're unaware, in Ontario. I know pastors who have gone to conferences in Ontario who were required to give their notes at the border of what they would be teaching at the conference. And that depended on whether or not they were going to be allowed in to Ontario. We know right now, today, uh, I was just talking to, to Mark that there are books that you used to be able to get on Kindle that no longer, not only no longer can you buy, but they're no longer in your Kindle. They've taken them from your library. The days are coming when if you want to have a message, it will be state approved. And there, you're headed toward just just so you are aware, you are headed toward a collision of truth and pragmatism. And, and what is pragmatic is not always going to, uh, lead, I'm not going to say it can never be true, but it's not often going to lead that direction, especially as we go now. And so the church will be filled with uh, People preaching the true message of the word of God and people preaching false message. Just like it was Jeremiah, false prophets, Ezekiel, false prophets. How are you going to know the difference? The Bible tells us that you are to test the spirit. Hold up the word. If you don't know the word, it's amazing how our ears hear a message we like. And you gravitate toward that, toward that message. It still happens, right? There, mega churches become mega churches, oftentimes because of a message that resonates with people, and the people gather to hear the message. They want to hear that. I I occasionally frustrate people. People ask me all the time, Jackie, do a a prophecy update. Do a prophecy. If you've been here for twelve years, you know I've never done a prophecy update. What, what do you mean a prophecy update? It's in the Bible. If we go through the Bible, we'll hear everything that's going on prophetically. 
But that's not what they mean, right? They want to know, well, what about Iran? And what about Russia? And what about Gog and Magog? And <laughs> when we get to chapter 38, you, you may not like that chapter much either. But I'm going to teach you what the word says. I'm going to teach you what the word is saying. I won't scratch your ears. I'm going to try to, as much as is possible for me, teach you the truth of what God's word is, is telling us and how we need to be prepared, right, for the future that is coming. It's, in a lot of ways, already here. Isn't it interesting how many, how much the state controls the message? Who, who controls media? Who, who controls the internet? Who controls the cyber world? Who controls what you're hearing and what you're not hearing? It's kind of weird, huh? And, uh, and what about, uh, what, what's, uh, it was interesting because we were just talking about it tonight. What's the, what's the one area they have a hard time controlling? They have a hard time controlling the church. Yeah. So the result will be some form or another persecution is coming. Right? And the idea, <clears throat> we, we, we're blessed to be able to put our messages online. I got an email. I've gotten a couple of emails over past messages, even stuff off of the Bearded Biker Bible Man, which at one point I thought, I don't know if anybody even watches this. So, but I got a couple of messages. Somebody watched my testimony or somebody who, who watched one of the things and just wanted to reach out, and they were encouraged. But there will be a day when, because of that message, you won't be able to find it online. So when we come to Ezekiel, to me, Ezekiel 13, especially as we are, Catching, uh, um, catching speed as we move t toward Ezekiel 16, the, the message is out there that there, are, there will be a division within what the world calls the church between the true and the false. And it is, it is upon those who are listening to know the difference. God tells us, if we apply what God's told us, you will recognize the false. You will, you will hear a message that does not resonate with, with Christ, right? So listen to what Ezekiel told us about these false prophets. In Ezekiel 13, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own heart. So he's going to bring several... I'm going to call them several woes. I'm going to say there's three woes in these first three verses that he's going to focus in on. But the first thing he says, the, the, the word of the Lord comes to me. So, so to me, Jesus is there. He's standing before Ezekiel. He's telling him, you need to prophesy against the false prophets where? Who are prophesying in Israel. So that means that would indicate that among the remnants, there are false prophets there too. And part of the reason why the people struggle with understanding what God's doing is because you have these two voices. You have a voice that says, hey, God's going to raise up a remnant from among us that's going to go back into the land. The Lord is sent us into exile because of our rebellion. And so we still have a future. We need to build toward that future, right? And then you have a message that says, uh, you know, 
we're the wicked, Jerusalem's the favored, God's going to still deliver Jerusalem. If he wanted to deliver anybody, he'll deliver the ones there, not the ones who are here. You also have false prophets with Jeremiah. Jeremiah telling the people, surrender, stop fighting, the rebellion is over, you have lost. The heart of man is rebellious. I should know this because I have a rebellious heart too. And I just think back, Kadesh Barnea. If you guys understand the history of the nation of Israel, they come to Kadesh Barnea, they send out spies. Everybody familiar with the story? Uh, Ten of the spies come back, you know, yeah, we can't do this. Two spies, Caleb and Joshua, they're, they're begging, literally begging the people, please don't listen. The Lord is with us. The Lord, it's not about what we are capable of doing. It's is God capable of giving us the land and giving us victory over over the people who are there. And so the people won't listen. They, they, they rebel against us. They say, we won't go. We're believing these. We can't do it. And God renders judgment. Then you won't go. The next morning, you know, you ever bought a car and the next day woke up and thought, I shouldn't have done that? So the next morning, the people wake up and they say, oh, wait a minute, we were wrong, Lord, we'll go do it. And God said to them, no, I will not be with you. And in their presumptuous nature, they presumed, well, if we start, God has to finish with us. Or, I mean, he's not going to let us lose. Yeah, he will. And so th they're not able to enter. Because God's judgment was, you're not going in. It'll be your kids now. Your day, your time is done. It'll be your children. Now, what can you do? What can you do in preparation for knowing that it's your children that are going to go? I failed as a father. My children are going to go. Then what is my role? It certainly isn't to pout. It is to focus on raising up my kids so that they're able to stand when the challenge comes to them. And so that's, the, that's God's message through Jeremiah to the people. Go to Babylon, build houses, have families, live. God says, I want you to increase. I don't want you to decrease. But these are all the things that we see happening in our world today. The, we're decreasing. We're, we're, uh, um, we are, are uh, what's the word for going backwards? Retreating. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. What do you call that? Retreat? You see, I was in a, when I was in the Marine Corps, we took that word out because part of the deal of the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps has never retreated. If you know history, you know that's not true. The Marine Corps has retreated, but we did not call it a retreat. Um, we, we called it <laughs> fighting in the other direction. So... So we, we, uh, we, we, we also change terms so we don't have to say those words. But we don't want to retreat, right? We want to be constantly on the advance, progressing. Your walk with Christ should be always what? Progressing. Now here's what happens. This is what happens. This, this is indicative of what takes place in the heart of God's people when they start to presume rather than progress. Look what he does. Prophesy to those who prophesy from their own heart. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen 
nothing. Woe to the foolish prophet. Number one, they are foolish. Now the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about the path of the fool and the path of the wise. The path of the fool is in opposition to the ways of God. Uh, the path of the wise is following the path of God. This is, this is how the Bible deals with the way of the fool and the, and the way of the wise. In Isaiah 32, verse 5, it says this, The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable, for the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. <clears throat> so he's saying, whoa, you are first. Number one, you're foolish. Well, number one or one B or two, it doesn't matter. Uh, one, foolish. Two, they are autonomous. They follow their own heart. They follow their own heart. They are ruled by self. Okay, that's... Uh, that's the idea of being autonomous. I, I'm going to do me. That, that kind of resounds in our world today, right? It's about what's best for me, what's best for you. You take care of you. You do you. I'll do me, right? You only live once. These are all things that, uh, that everybody is saying. And so they were autonomous. They don't care to follow what God has laid out. Here's the ancient path. Let's not follow the ancient path. Uh, I, I just want to make my own. I want to make my own foolish, autonomous, and they lack any divine insight. You have seen nothing. They are going to speak like God is talking to them. But the Lord is going to say, I have not told them anything. They, they are saying and doing what their heart tells them to do. They are foolish, so they're following the path of the fool, not the path of the wise, which means their road does not lead to life. So what happened to the false prophets in Jerusalem who were telling the people, fight, fight, God's going to deliver us. What happened to them? Everybody who followed them died because of the path of the fool does not lead to life. And so that is what is going on. They prophesy from their own heart. They follow their own spirit. This is the source of their problem, that, that their world is so small, there's no way there's something outside of them that might have any voice to speak to what's going on. So here's what he says. Your prophets have been like jackals among the ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. So what he's saying is, look, there's nothing, there's no substance to your prophecy. There's no help. When you look at what the devil did, if we go back to the Exodus, and you remember how the, the um, uh, magicians, the sorcerers for Pharaoh were able to replicate the things Moses did. They, were never, they never had control over it, though. Do you understand? Moses turned water to blood, so what did the sorcerers do? They turned water to blood. Well, congratulations, you didn't make the situation better, you just helped. Do you understand? Oh, here we have a glass of water. Well, let's turn that to blood. Perfect, great. If you have power over something, you would be able to turn the blood, what? Back to water. 
they could only make the situation worse. These false prophets are prophesying, but there's no substance. There's no real help. There's no real deliverance. Just words people want to hear. But the words won't fill the empty bellies, right? The words won't satisfy the thirst. But they're words we like, we, we want to hear. And so they're heaping up those words. There's no substance. There's no escape. There's no wall to defend. There's no help in the prophecy. They are clouds promising rain. But they don't bring any. Jesus' brother, Jude, in the book of Jude, Jude verse 12, writes this. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. So Jude was saying, Jude's talking about the professors, the make-believers that are among the church, and he's saying... Look, they look, they look like you, but they, there's no life in them. There's no help in them. There's no progression. There's no growth. There's, there's nothing that's bringing us forward. The, the Word of God ought to challenge us. It ought to challenge us daily. It ought, if, you're, if you're spending time in the Word of God daily, you should be getting, there should be something there that has challenged you, that you go, oh, Lord, you're right. I need to, I need to correct this. I need to adjust this. I need to... But if, if everything you hear is just, you're good, everything's fine, just, just you know, keep on keeping on. <laughs> Live your best life now. There's, they're empty words. They're clouds without rain. And this is how the Lord is describing these prophets. You're jackals among the ruins. The ruins, the city's going to be judged, it's going to fall, and you're just running around making it worse. What's the last thing you need if you're stuck in a ruin? Jackals. Yeah, I have a jackal who lives in my house. <laughs> yeah, her name's Raven. There's no food safe in my house. If you were to say, you know, I'm starving. I'm going to make a sandwich. And you turn your back. It's gone. And you will think to yourself, does the Bible talk about rapture of food? There will be no, and the dog just sitting there looking like, licking his chops maybe, but it doesn't have mayonnaise on its face or nothing. It's just poof. He, he ate like 18 eggs today. 18 eggs. He's greedy. Do you, does anybody need a jackal if you're in the ruins? If you're in the ruins and you're starving and everything's coming down around you, do you need a dog like that? So he's saying these prophets are like that. They're a jackal. They're coming around and they're stealing food and they're causing problems and they're attacking the sick, right? So they are no help. This is what he's saying. They're no help in the day of battle. They're no help. There's no preparation that's taking place. He goes on in verse 6. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say declares the Lord when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. So they're counting on God fulfilling what they're prophesying. And I want you to understand, when the word uses false vision and lying divinations, they are seeing something. It's just not from God. 
they are hearing things. They are, they are in some way being led spiritually, but it's not from the Lord. And this is what God, and, and then the Lord says, and they, they make these lying divinations, they make these lying prophecies, and they expect that God has to obey them. This is going to come up later on as we get to the end of the prophecy, because they're literally, the women are making armbands and headbands that were, were tools that they could use that they thought they could force God to do whatever they're asking God to do. And the Lord's not a genie. He's not your Santa Claus. He's not your own personal uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. He's your God. That's, that is not the same thing. And so here they're expecting this. Verse 7, Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Now the Bible tells, Galatians tells us, that, there, that it is possible to be spiritually misled. Yes? We have an anchor. The whole idea of spiritual guidance is very subjective. I could say I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to do A. You could say the Holy Spirit is telling us to do B. If they're opposite ideas, how do we know which one is real? There is one tool God has given us that is absolutely objective. It doesn't depend on feeling. And that's his word. And so we test those things according to his word. It will line up with his word. You'll find confirmation in his word. But most people nowadays have what's called a famine of the word. They don't know the word. They don't understand the word. They don't know what the word teaches. And so they can be led astray by every wind of doctrine. Right? So the challenge is then we have to know what is it that God's word is saying? What is it that God's word has delivered? Every king had a rule, had, had a rule instituted that said that they should not only read the entire scripture, but they should make their own copy of it. Which means as they're reading, they're writing it down which is really ingraining within them the lessons that had been taught throughout the Pentateuch, the words of the prophets that had come through. And so they would write those things down. Now, if you were that ingrained and understood the word to that point, you should have the tools necessary to say, that doesn't sound like God, what you're saying. That, that doesn't sound like, I, I see precedent here in the word. I see God doing this then. I see God doing this here. <clears throat> but people didn't know. So the Lord says, you have seen false vision, uttered lying divination, and you said, declares the Lord, though I haven't spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you uttered falsehood and saw lying visions, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So God's not for them. He's not in support of what they're doing. And through Jeremiah in Jerusalem and Ezekiel in the refugee camps, he's going to be delivering his message. His message of repentance, his message of, of, uh, the, for the remnant, and his message of judgment for those in rebellion. And that message is not going to change. It's going to continue. It's going to still be right out there. 
The Lord, he said, I did not send these, I did not speak to them, and what they saw was not from me. Verse 9, so he says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions, who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people. Now listen to this. They shall not be in the council of my people. They shall not be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel. And they shall not enter the land of Israel. And you, he's not speaking to the false prophets now. He's speaking to his people and you shall know. I am the Lord, your God. Is God able to judge the wicked and deliver the righteous? Yeah. So what is he saying to these lying prophets? Look, you're not my people. <clears throat> you may have Jewish heritage, but that does not make you my people. You are lying prophets, not my people. <clears throat> not in the register of the house of Israel. It's as though the Lord's saying, your name's not there. <clears throat> the genealogies were intense. But God's saying, yeah, your name's not in the register. You're a false prophet. You're not in the register. You're not among the people, and you are not coming back to the land. So they won't be the remnant, and if they are there in the refugee camps, they're never, they're never going back to the land. They're, in essence, God has cut them off. Cut off. You're cut off. You're not a part of the people uh, what, he's, what he's describing is an excommunication from the covenant family of God. Now, you should probably just dig into that a little bit with your teeth because that is an elect part of God's people that were considered elect, yes? That God is saying, you're not my people. Makes some interesting um, challenges for us, right? And in, in understanding how, how does that work? What, 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 is that, what is that like? I suppose we could always have the endless argument, but in the Old Testament, it's harder. In the New Testament, we say, well, they were never among us. Yeah, but that's Israel. And Israel was elect and now that part of Israel is excommunicated cut off interesting something we should probably spend a little bit of time trying to comprehend and understand now he goes on the result uh, that God's going to bring all right precisely because you have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace so the message matters, right? The message that God's given it, it matters. And so the Lord, when the Lord says there's no peace, everything's not okay, right? The Lord's message to his people through the last several prophets has been repent. There's no peace. You are at enmity with God. You're in rebellion against God. There's no peace. And yet these other prophets are saying peace, peace, everything's okay. And God saying, oh, I did not say peace, peace. But because, precisely because that's the message you gave. When the people build a wall, it says, the prophets smear it with whitewash and say to those that smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain and great hailstones will fall and the stormy wind will break out. 
And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, well, I thought you fixed the wall. The idea here in the language that doesn't come across in English is they build a wall and then the false prophets come along to this wall, this faulty wall, and they plaster it up. So it looks all rickety, right? You know, you ever seen a wall that was not built well? So the idea is here's a wall that's not built well, but what happens is the false prophets come and they plaster it up. They whitewash it. But it's not, the idea is not just paint. They just put plaster over it and the wall looks beautiful. But when the wind comes and the storm and the rain, this is not talking about a battering ram. When the weather comes, the wall falls down. And he says, and nobody says, hey, I thought you fixed that. I thought you built that wall. I thought you, you fortified that wall. They don't, they don't say it. The Lord's saying, man, all of these things are evidences against who you are, against your message, against what you're saying. <clears throat> this attempt to cover it up. We see the same thing in Job when, when Job is talking about his friends. He says, as for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. And Job's idea is the same way. You're, you're, you're trying to prop up these arguments that hold no water and putting plaster all over so they look pretty, but they don't work. You're not very good physicians. You're not much help. You were more help when you were quiet. So the Lord is saying, look, this that you build this wall. It's an illustration that their prophecies are like this wall that promises one thing but delivers another. It's not accomplishing the goal. And so when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where's that coating you smeared on it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make stormy wind break out in my wrath. And there shall be a deluge of rain and my anger and great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. So God's going to bring it all down. And specifically, Jerusalem is going to fall. We'll, we'll get that word back to the refugees when it happens. But it's, it, again, serves to authenticate Ezekiel's message that that's been a part of his message all along. I will break down the wall you have smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you perish in the midst of it. So none of those false prophets in Jerusalem will make it in exile. Those false prophets are going to die. They're going to perish with the people that they gave the false message to. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall. And upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. So he's saying, I'm gonna, I am going to silence their voice. Now when we look at this, we see this this. this idea this call for peace and if we want to take that and say well now how do we apply that in our lives Ephesians 2 14 tells us that Jesus Christ is our peace what what path is there to peace Jesus what path is there over the enmity between man and God Jesus he's our peace nothing else can bring peace nothing else can 
brings salvation. He himself is our peace who has made us both one. He's unified both sides and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's dividing wall. He's talking about between Jews and Greeks. That dividing wall is taken down when the veil was rent. The pathway has been made open. What Paul would write in Romans, that we were at enmity with God, at war with God, and Jesus Christ has become our peace. He's the peace child. He's the pathway to peace. He's the bridge across troubled waters. I don't know what illustration or metaphor you want to use, but he's the one. It's him. And there is no peace any other way. One way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one peace, only real peace with God is accomplished through Jesus Christ. That's it. The only way. Now he's going to lift up his eyes, the second prophecy toward the false prophets. And this is going to be to what some have called the witches of Jerusalem. Uh, It says, and you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own hearts. This is one of very few prophetic words against uh, false prophets who were women. And in this section, he's going to be talking about, uh, again, the daughters of your people. How are they prophesying? From their own heart. They're just like the other false prophets, right? They are united in that. He says, prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. So the women... Not only are they prophesying like the men, uh, and they're prophesying falsely, but they're also using their craftiness, their their ability to make crafts, and they are ensnaring the hearts of the people with them. Now, we don't know how. We don't know what the story was. We can, you know, try to surmise from the text, but it is a counterfeit of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, here's, here is God's charge for his people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you will bind them as a sign on your hand. And you will bind them as frontlets between your eyes, like an armband, headband. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. So from Deuteronomy 6, they developed something called phylacteries. Well, every time I've gone to Israel, I've looked at phylacteries. Occasionally, I'm tempted to buy them, but they must be made of gold. Because a phylactery, buying a phylactery, that's the box that they put on their hands, that they tie on your hand. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Or a box that they put on their heads. It contains scripture. And and so the idea is an, an outward illustration of what's supposed to be true. Everything I do, everything I think, everything I see... 
everything my house is built on, written on the doorpost. You heard of the, the mezuzah? Is that right? Where's my wife? She's supposed to fix my bad word. Mezuzah. That same thing, containing scripture, that our house is founded on the word of God, that the things we think, that the, it guides what I see, where I'm going, what I'm doing, right? This is all uh, illustrating this path of following the Lord God with your entire being. And the counterfeit of that with the false prophets was some type of armband or some type of headband that was to say, this is where God wants you. He wants you to stay here in the fight. Because what they were doing was a hunt for souls. Because what happened to the ones who stay and fight? They died. They're destroyed. And they're destroyed in rebellion against God. So he says, look, you are, you are hunting souls belonging to my people. And you keep your own soul alive. So whatever they were doing was profiting them and harming God's people. Who should have been hearing a message of lay down your sword, walk over there and surrender and live. That was Jeremiah's message. Stop fighting. If you live by the sword, you will. You keep fighting, you're going to die. They're the most stubborn People probably on the face of the earth, really. They were conquered three times by the same dude. And they, it never lasted long. They had a king of four months and then a king of 11 years. And then a king of four months and then a king of 11 years. And the last four kings of Judah. And in those four kings, they had three rebellions. Until Nebuchadnezzar said, basically, don't leave a stone on top of anything. Solomon's temple's destroyed. Everything is wrecked. There's nothing left but rubble. And it was a battle between the true prophets of God speaking the word of God, calling the people to repentance, returning to him, preparing the next generation for the challenges that they would face, coming back to the land, your time is done. God's judgment for that generation was, you're, I'm moving you out. I'll bring your children back. You're going out. You're, you have sinned to the point I am, um, what do they call that when they throw you out? Yeah, that works, but that's the one that's sticking in my head. What do you call it? None of you guys have ever been evicted, huh? <laughs> that's it. So they're being evicted from the land. You're being evicted. Now, the Lord's not saying, I'm going to kill you all. No, he says, accept the judgment. You're being evicted. Now, you're going to go to this place where I want you to build homes have families, live, increase, don't decrease, prepare the next generation, I'm going to bring them back. Or you can listen to false prophets and fight, and in that case, you're going to eat your own children. And they chose that. So that, that word from the false prophet, whatever these ladies are doing, nobody knows. If you read 10 different commentaries, They'll have 10 different ideas, and they'll all say, we don't really know. We just know there was some way in which they were deceiving the people through these things they've made, and the clearest scripture that, that kind of aligns with it is this call from Deuteronomy to let the word of God be your guide. And instead, whatever these people were doing was taking, oh, taking that place. 
taking the place of the word of God and uh, uh, costing people their lives. Listen to what the Lord said in verse 19. You have profaned me. That's bad. You have profaned me among the people. The Lord's made that charge a few times, by the way. There's a fellow named David called the man after God's own heart that the Lord says, you cause the nations to profane me. Your representation of me has, has uh, I don't know, hurt my reputation among the nations. Moses profaned the Lord. You misrepresented God. What happened to Moses? He doesn't come into the land. What happened to David? Sword never left his family. And so here the Lord is saying to these, hey, you profaned my name. Listen, among my people for what? A handful of barley and pieces of bread. You're watching people slaughtered so that you can get a handful of barley and a slice of bread. Whatever they're selling, whatever they're giving, whatever they're charging for their prophecies. I'm sure Jeremiah is over there in the corner for free. But here, you want the armband, you want the headband, you want the special thing that's going to get you through. This is how you know that you're God's special ones. You know, this is not new, right? You can turn on the TV and see people doing this, right? Selling things that you can wear that's going to give you favor with God. All It just takes a little seed money. Give your seed gift and God will deliver you. He said, you're profaning me among my people for a handful of barley and pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die. So it was costing lives that it didn't have to cost. That's how I read that text. They should not die, keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying hand to my people who listen to lies. So there's judgment on the people, right? You should know this is not true. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about uh, teaching? Let not many of you become teachers. Why? You better be right. You will give account. I will give account of every bad doctrine I've ever sown. I'll give account. So So the scripture says, let not many of you become teachers. There is harsher comment or condemnation right on teaching false so you need to know you need to be sure you need to be diligent not lazy servants right people who are saying look i want to know i want to be able to profess the truth but he also holds men responsible for what they hear paul would say we should be like bereans we should receive the word with all joy and then test the scriptures test the message make sure it lines up with what the scripture teaches so he's saying, look, people are dying who shouldn't die, and you guys who are staying alive. So people are starving, and they're given their last handful of barley, which is a grain usually reserved for feeding animals, and they're giving that to buy an armband or a headband, just like that little old lady who gave her last $1,000 to buy some special prayer shawl who's going to give her favor with God, and God's going to return upon her all this all this stuff, whatever. And the Lord's saying, now that person who gave you the last handful of barley, they starved to death, but you're still alive because you got their barley. 
And so God is going to hold them accountable. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds. I will tear them from your arms and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free. The souls like birds. Your veils I will tear off and I will deliver my people out of your hand and they shall no more be in your hand as prey and you will know that I am the Lord your God. You will know I'm Yahweh. So God's saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you down. You think these things are going to save you. This is how it's going to, you're going to carry yourself through the siege and through the starvation. He says in verse 22, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked, that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. You will see no more false visions nor practice divination. Now that doesn't mean God's not going to let them see things anymore. It means they're going to die. It means, yeah, you're not, your time is wrapping up. When he says you're not seeing visions, it doesn't mean like God's cutting off their sight and cutting off whatever these things are. No, God's cutting them off. Why? Because you have deceived the righteous and you have encouraged the wicked to continue in his wickedness. And I would say that the church owes uh, an, an attitude of repentance for those same things. You have discouraged the righteous and encouraged the wicked. What you tolerate, you encourage. That we, we, we as, and I'm speaking as a global church or maybe a church in the United States, we so want to have peace with the world. But Jesus said what? If you stand with me, they're not going to have peace with the world. The world is not going to love your message. But we, we, want to, we just want to get along, right? We just want to just let us do our thing. You do your thing. Hey, just leave us alone. How's that working? Leave us alone. Leave us alone. Once upon a time. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we go back to this, but once upon a time, schools taught the Word of God. Now, there's still teachers who, who sow the Word of God in and still teach. There are still that going on. But for the most part, that abandoned, but hey, whatever, you know, just leave us alone. We'll, you stay over there, we'll stay over here. We divided our world into secular and sacred as though there's such a division. Look, either you are in Christ and everything is sacred or you're not and nothing is. But you don't get one sacred day and six secular days. The division of church and state is in the mind of the state, not in the mind of God. In the mind of God, there's no such thing. There is followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, period. Following him, being obedient to his word. And so we have, we have over the last, I don't even know how many generations, over the last multiple generations we have, retreated and retreated and retreated and retreated for the sake of peace and so far all that peace has bought us is 
being held in a corner and said, if you don't, if you don't do what we say, we're going to put a fence around and shut you down. And that message is happening in places, right? It hasn't come to Idaho, but that message is happening. Churches are being shut down. Preachers are being locked up. I'm telling you, there's no place else to retreat to. And I feel like our generation is the one that the Lord is saying, exile. Our, our ability to achieve the victory maybe we think in our mind has passed. And the church, unfortunately, is losing generation after generation after generation of people coming up who have not been raised up, who are not prepared, and who are abandoning the church in droves. And I feel like the Lord's message to our generation is, that's your job now. This is what you have to fix. Before you can fix the government, before you can fix the Supreme Court and all the other things we're looking at, you better turn your eyes toward family because family is the next head on the chopping block. That's the next thing the state wants. There's no place else to back up. It's time to stop. It's time to say, I'm not listening to the messages of the false prophets. I'm going to listen to the word of God. What the word of God tell us to do? Start with our kids, right? Teach your children every day. Not Sunday. Not Wednesday. Monday. Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. How many days do you rise up? Every day? You're kidding me. So the Bible says you're supposed to teach them when you rise up. Here's another one. How many days do you lay down? It's not a trick question. You lay down every day, don't you? So you're supposed to train them up then too. How many days do you walk? Oh my goodness, you're kidding me. The Bible does not teach a division of secular and sacred. It teaches we are either in or out. And if we are in, then we are all in, and this is what we do. We train them up. And it's our job, not somebody else's job, not Josh's job over there with the kids, not Stone's job over there with the kids. It's our job, our kids. It's our job. And we need to be supporting one another and encouraging one another to accomplish that goal. Or there will be another generation we watch fade out. And the Lord will give the call to another generation. But there will be a generation who will stand up and raise up their children ready to engage the world. I think there's, I think there's one more strong push from the church. I'm not a big retreat guy and Lord Jesus come get me and bail us out of this because of our abject failure. I don't like that. That doesn't mean Jesus is not coming, but I don't like that. It, it, it absolves me of my responsibility. As long as I got breath in my lungs, there's one commission. What is the commission? Go into all, to every nation and do what? Make disciples. You know, if you got a family, you have somebody right there you can do. If you don't have a family, you have a neighbor. You have somebody. Go and make disciples. 
So don't say, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Yeah, you do. Make disciples. How do I do it? Well, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them the things Jesus commanded them, and you know the Lord will be with you even into the end of the age. And the age ain't ended yet. We're still here. So I'd really like to finish my race faithful, right? Not listening to the message of the false prophets, everything's okay. Everything's not okay. And we better turn our eyes, right? Lift our eyes to the heavens. Where does your help come from? Help comes from the Lord. And we better look to the next generation. Because you and I need to make them ready. And my kids are gone, so I'm going to be looking to yearns. My grandkids, your kids, I hope corporately as a body, we'll commit to doing this together, right? Helping one another, encouraging one another, discipling one another, and make it happen. Make it happen so that at least in our area, there, are, are, there will be a generation ready to stand when their time comes, right? When their Kaddish Barnea comes, when the Lord says, are you ready to go? I don't want them to say, we can't do it. I want them to say, yay, Lord, we're ready. And him to say, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'll give it to you. Has the Lord done that before? He absolutely has. Will he do it again? I believe so. I believe so. So we need to turn our eyes. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word, God. And I pray that we'd stand by your word, stand on your word. And we would look forward to uh, how you will direct us, how you will call us, how we can fulfill your purpose, Lord. I pray, God, that we just would be men and women committed, not divided. We're not a Sunday believer. We're not a Sunday, Wednesday believer. We're not an Easter, Christmas believer. We believe all the time, Monday, Monday through Sunday, every day of the week. And we don't just wait for one day to tell our kids about Jesus and to teach them about the word because the state is not waiting one day to fill their heads with other stuff. It's time, high time for God's people to stand up and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done backing up and I'm done backing off and now I'm, I'm moving forward. It's time to advance. It's time to progress. The Lord God is calling his people to do what he's already told us to do. This is not some new word. This is the ancient path. And God's saying, you guys lost your way. You're off the path. Get on the path. Get on the path and do the things that need done. Make yourself ready. Prepare your heart, understand your word, understand the scripture. Disciple others, disciple children. Do it every day, all the time, wherever you go. Be all in. This is what the church of the last days has to look like. God, I pray you be glorified as we put our eyes on you. You equip us by your Holy Spirit to do the things you're asking us to 
That's something you promised in your word, and I know you will do. And make us diligent. Not a lazy servant who doesn't ever think the master's going to come to give account. A diligent servant who does business till the master comes. And he is successful in what he does. He has increase. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified. We need you in Jesus' name.